excited. I'm just so excited because listen, this season, oh, you know, I, I think about all the stories I record, like a mother with her kids, so it's hard to pick which are your favorites. So I tend not to have favorites, but this season three is something. It really like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Producing it has just been so wonderful. So I can't wait to start sharing it with you this Friday. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. A link to it is in the show notes. If you're listening on a platform that does not have show notes, just go to legallycluelessafrica.com and you'll get our YouTube from there. We also have... (laughs) If you're new to this podcast, I sing when I am excited. (laughs) So... So just bear with me. We also have, I was going to sing again. We also have a yoga event that's coming up this Saturday. And I really want to meet you. So definitely need to come through for it. Especially if you're a woman who's trying to navigate trauma. A lot of our trauma sits physically in our bodies. So we have two amazing yogis who are Kenyan women. And they are going to be helping us process our trauma that's sitting in our bodies physically. And they're going to do this through body movement, meditation, and sharing circles. I think this is definitely going to be one for the books. And I cannot... There I go again. I can't wait to see you at our first event, which is the Yoga Wellbeing event. Hi, my name is Julie. My name is Catherine. And we are going to be your leaders for our yoga well-being workshop here at Kanga Studio. We'll be doing mindful practice, meditation, so yoga for your mind. And then we'll move our bodies so we can get physical and get to access our bodies using yoga. And then we'll finish with a discussion circle where we get heart-to-heart discussions. Most of the time we process our trauma in our minds. And this workshop is going to be an opportunity to process that trauma in our bodies. We're looking forward to having the Legally Clueless Africa community. So see you on the 6th of August from 10 a.m. at Kanga Studio, Nairobi. Tickets have to be bought in advance. They're 4,000 bob and are inclusive of lunch. Grab your tickets right now on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. Hustle Sasa. We have very limited tickets, so make sure you grab yours as soon as you hear this. Okay, let's... Check out what's coming up in this episode. I have to give a bit of a trigger warning because the story that is featured does reference sexual violence, which can be super traumatizing. So in case that's not a topic that you can handle, you may want to pause on this episode. I mean, the story is super inspiring, but you can come back when you're in a zone where you can handle such topics. I can remember a specific day where my mom boiled water until we slept because there was no food. So that was her way of just telling us, food is coming, your dad is coming with food. She only came to tell me years later that that day we didn't have food. In fact, the first time I I went outside Kibera, I was in class six. And that was the first time I think I saw a three-bedroom house. And I was like, wait, people sleep in different rooms. Wow. You know, when I reached that day, I was pushed from behind. It has taken me years to accept that it was my friend who pushed me. And when I was pushed, the brother slapped me and told me in Kiswahili, that wewe ndo unajifanya unajua kusoma tutakufanya kama sister yetu and i remember him telling me if you dare speak we are going to kill your mother you know walking on the road pretending that you're okay so that your mom will not get killed and the doctor she was a lady she looked at me and asked me do you want to report this that is pauline and her story is coming up a little later in this episode the song of the week let's jump into that yo Yo, Beyonce. (laughs) Is she really serious? (laughs) Just dropping masterpieces for us. Is she serious? Is she? Okay, so the one song that I'm really loving from her new album is Cozy. I think I'm really identifying with it because I'm really falling madly and deeply in love with my body once again. Like on a whole new... Almost spiritual level. I know that sounds so hippie, but like, seriously, that's where I'm at. Enjoying dressing up. I'm playful again. I'm not insecure about too much. I'm feeding my body almost right. (laughs) Because right now there's like crisps and Oreo cookies around me. So, But yeah, I'm just really intentional and consciously actually the word is consciously loving on my body and it's I don't think I've been in this zone this deep 
you know, post being raped. And so I'm really, I'm really sitting in it. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. So when I heard the song Cozy, I absolutely was drawn to it just because of where I am in my life. And, you know, you might have heard it and just been like, what's this mess? (laughs) But I love it. And so it's the song of the week. If you've not checked it out, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So before we get into 100 African stories, can I just like tell you about my day? It's... (laughs) It's been one of the most magical days and nothing crazy happened, but it's been so beautiful. So I've moved to a much greener place, really out in the countryside. I am not in the hustle and bustle of Nairobi. Thank you, God. <laughs> I am not made for that life. I tried to fit in, but uh, the body refused. So yeah, I'm really in my element. I think I'm living exactly where someone of my personality should be living. And I'm really enjoying it. I mean, listen to the science. Zero water pumps. Zero children. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So today, you know, Sundays are when I do most of my audio production work. So I work on the Legally Clueless episodes that play on Trace Radio, this one, and I do all my social media content. So Sunday is like my Monday, so that Monday is not hectic. And also so that you have an episode by wee hours of Monday morning. So I start doing my work. And even like moving out here, I'm waking up much easier, waking up feeling much more rested. Anyway, so I woke up, did my production stuff, and then I found myself debating as to whether I should take a break at about 12 noon to take a walk to a nearby stream stroke dam stroke large body of water. Or do I just continue? And I remember having that thought and being like, what? What is this life I'm living? How have I achieved this? Like, this is something I've wanted for so, so long. Anyway, so of course I took the break. And of course I went on a walk. And of course that large body of water was absolutely beautiful. Just surrounded by all of this greenery. The fattest, most greenest trees I've ever seen. And like, it was just so beautiful. I took ah, the most beautiful walk. And then I came back home. And I was just like, this this is life. <laughs> we like to dress up life with all of these, these shenanigans that are so not deep. They don't feed our souls any damn thing, but we actively participate in them. When the things that are so impactful and so deep and so healing to our souls, to our spirit, just because these things are every day, we dismiss them. So we dismiss nature, we dismiss trees, we dismiss all of these things, right? But they are super powerful. And yeah, so that's like I'm saying my day was magical because that walk, that walk was everything. Okay, no more singing in this episode, by the way. Let's jump into 100 African stories. So like I said, this story does reference sexual violence. Suicidal themes do come up and that can be quite triggering to a few people. So if those are topics that you can't interact with right now, no problem. Pause. Maybe someday you can be able to interact with it. Maybe someday you can't and that's that's also quite okay. The story is by Pauline and she's a 27-year-old woman who is running a safe house in Kajado. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Pauline Juma. I'm 27 years old. I was born in the most beautiful slums in this country, that is Kenya, Kibera Slums, Nairobi. I was the firstborn in a family of four children, three girls, one boy. My mom keeps saying that I was a candle from the time I was really little. My mom called me a candle because I was a child who was against a lot of things in the slums. Like, I would question my mom from the age of five. Mom, why should adults beat each other? Don't you people... Can't you stay in love? Can't you stay listening to one another? So my community called me a rebel. So by the time I was 13, you know, every time in the community, people were like, that girl, let's see where she will get. But she's so rebellious. My growing up was not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was that tough that it wasn't that tough, tough, tough. We had, there are days we had our three meals, there are days we didn't have, but I had a mom who taught me to be very grateful. And I had a mom who used to pray a lot. And uh, I had a mom who would encourage us. You know, I can remember a specific day where my mom boiled water until we slept because there was no food. 
So that was her way of uh, just telling us, food is coming, your dad is coming with food. So And then we slept. She only came to tell me years later that that day we didn't have food. But I grew, I grew up very responsible as a firstborn. I was this little dreamer when I, was a, when I was a child. The only thing I used to tell my mom when I grew up, I want to be a journalist and take you to a very big house. I didn't have a lot of dreams. <laughs> I didn't have like a lot of dreams. I just wanted to take my mom to a very big house. And uh, luckily for us, that is me and my siblings, we got scholarship when you we were very little. So for us, education was luck. Uh, I call it luck because we got the opportunity to go to the best schools uh, around Kibera. We got the opportunity to interact uh, with other people. In fact, the first time I, I went outside Kibera, I was in class six. I was uh, I was schooling in a, the, the next neighborhood after Kibera, that is Ngumo. And that was the first time I think I saw a three-bedroom house. And I was like, wait, People sleep in different rooms. Wow. And you know, every weekend I was like, I was, I was pressuring my friends. Don't you have birthdays? I want to sleep in your houses. I want to sleep in your home. Wow. You have your own bedroom. You have your own TV. By that time, we don't even have a TV. And those are just little things that inspired me to be a better person. When I was joining Form 1, you know, I joined Form 1 in the Mideast. Kenya, Kenya was just recovering from the post-election violence. And I went to a school that I was the only Luo in the whole school. The whole school. You know, the first month, I was really bullied. So while in high school, that bully, the first month, I became very resilient. And uh, I, sometimes I feel like I was assimilated to the culture so that I could fit in. But uh, everything was okay after one month. Everything went okay. And, you know, I was just this excited girl that I'm now in high school. I have only three years to be in school. And after high school, I'll go be a journalist. That is the only thing that I wanted. That was it. That, that is the only thing that I wanted. Because for me, even being, uh, being brought up in Kibera, I used to feel like that is not a space that I wanted to grow up in. As much as people were so good, but I was like, there's something that I need. I need more from life. I need to live like my friends. I need to drive cars. So my... I, I used to work so hard. I used to find things that would take me outside even school so that I experience other people. When I was 16, I was in Form 3. That was October 2011, 11th. We were just going back to school. And I had a very close friend, a close friend. You know, my mom tells me that I was born kind. I was just born kind. I loved sharing as a firstborn. I don't know if it's because I'm a firstborn, but I loved sharing. And I had this friend when I was in Form 2. She just moved in where we lived, and she was in Form 1. And I don't know if I can say unfortunately, but she got pregnant. When she got pregnant, her mom chased her away. But I convinced my mom she needs to go back to the home. I'll be sharing what I'm being given for shopping so that this girl goes to school after the baby's big. And I did that for one year as a friend, as a sister. That is what I thought. But on this specific day, I was just going back to school. I was about to go back to school. You know, this girl told me the usual things we used to do as little girls. Pauline, can we go help my brother wash clothes? I was like, it's okay. Let's go. And you know that time I'm supposed to go back to school and this is around 8 a.m. By 12, I should be leaving to school. So it was, we go wash clothes, come back, you take me, I go to school. But this day when I went, now that was in Kibera. I used to live in Mashimoni, an area called Mashimoni. Now we were going to Langata. By that time, Langata was bushy and the brother was leaving in between the bushes. You know, when I reached that day, I was pushed from behind. It has taken me years to accept that it was my friend who pushed me. And when I was pushed, the brother slapped me because I was pushed in the house. The brother slapped me and told me in Kiswahili that wewe ndo unajifanya unajua kusoma. Tutakufanya kama sister yetu. It means I'm the... Uh, I don't want to direct translate it, but uh, it was like, I am the one who pretends that I want to go to school. They'll make sure I am like the sister. Now the sister was home with a baby and the brother was among the first people. He was among the first person who defiled me at the age of 16. It was, it was something so planned because the brother defiled me, abusing me, beating me up. It was like I was being blamed for the sister's pregnancy. And, uh, you know, after the brother was done, I think the other men were, were like, no, this is enough. But the brother made sure by the time he was leaving that house, no one would ever notice what happened to me. And I remember him telling me, if you dare speak, we are going to kill your mother. I was a 16-year-old daddy's girl. 
I loved my dad. I was close to my dad. But I used to look at my mom and I'm like, mom, you're not going to die because of me. So that day I left. I went to the hospital because growing up in Kiber, I used to know everything that you need to know to protect yourself. It, I, I Sometimes I felt like I was being groomed by the, from the age of 13 because I knew we had we had campaigns like sitakemia. So I took myself to the hospital and I told the doctors that I want to go to school. That is the only thing I want to go to school. And uh, it has taken me years to forget the pain that I felt that day. But it was, I felt so painful, you know, walking on the road pretending that you're okay so that your mom will not get killed. I went to the hospital, they, they did all the procedures, they gave me the, P3, the form, they wrote everything. And the doctor, she was a lady, she looked at me and asked me, do you want to report this? And I told her, yes, I will. But I took the papers, went home, took a shower, and went to school. I, that one month was the hardest month in my life in school. Because I went to school in October, and by November 23rd, I was suspended from school because I had tried to commit suicide three times. I was not talking to anyone. I was not telling anyone what was wrong with me. I was not opening up anything to anyone. I was just uh, Pauline, one minute you'll find her in the laboratory trying to drink acid. The other time I was trying to mix Omo and uh, sugar and a lot of things because I used to just think of any way that I can drink something and die. And apart from that, I used to write a lot. One of my friends in school one day stole my book. And uh, the third time I tried committing suicide, I was in the dormitory. Everyone had gone and I told the matron that I'm sick. I don't want to go to class. But uh, one of my friends, after they went to class, they came back. I was trying to hang myself in the dormitory. And uh, that is when they told the principal. And the principal could not just... Uh, sometimes I felt she couldn't take that risk of me being in school and killing myself. And I didn't want to tell anyone. I was just telling people I'm having very bad ulcers. When I'm being told to, get, to go to the psychiatrist in school, I never wanted even to face her. And uh, that one month was so long for me because I couldn't even face my male teachers. And I loved physics. I couldn't face my male teachers. In fact, the moment my physics teacher would come to class, I would look at him and feel like, you are just a perpetrator. I don't even want to listen to you. At that time, I never wanted to listen to anyone. I could stay in class up to 12, at least not to face anyone and not to have a conversation with anyone. What is wrong with you, Pauline? And I had friends who knew me as a vibrant girl. You know, I came from this vibrant girl and now I became so closed. I kept everything to myself. Now, my dad is the one who came for me. My dad and the director of the organization that, has, that had sponsored me. So they called the director and told the director, we think Pauline is not okay, but she's not ready to open up. That day when my dad came, 23rd of November, my dad came. While we were driving back home, while the director was driving back home, my dad looked at me, and I think until today, my dad is the biggest weakness in my life. He will look at me and I will just open up. My dad looked at me and asked me, Pauline, this is not you. Do you have a problem? And I gave him, you know, I used to carry all the papers, the, the medication I was given. I carried, I just took the papers and gave him and told him inside the car, Dad, if you dare tell anyone, you're going to lose me as your daughter. You will lose me. And this one, I swear, before you and this director, I swear. The only thing I want right now is to go back to school. I don't want anything to do with what has happened. I am a strong person. Those are the exact words I told my dad. I am a strong person and I will get over this. You know, that was the first time I saw my dad shedding tears. But he couldn't do anything. My dad had to do as I want. I don't know if he told my mom because seven years later is when I opened up and told my mom what, is, what had happened to me. But uh, from the time I was 16, I think to 23, sometimes I, I try to figure out how I lived those years, but I, I just don't know how I lived those years because I lived from, uh, I, I, I shifted from me living and now I was surviving. You know you go back to the slums and uh, Kibera has a lot of corners. So sometimes you're walking and you meet one of the perpetrators and you know they just look at you and uh, give you a sign that if you dare speak, you remember. I think for me, the hardest thing was me looking at them every single day and knowing that uh, I'm now a slave to these people. In, from 2011, December, I started looking for gangs 
you know, the bad boys in the slums. Because for me, I felt like bad boys were my security. So I completely shifted from being this girl who who was just vibrant in her own life. She was living her own life. Now, I was in the midst of gangs. I lost a lot of friends after high school because all mostly most of them were killed. Those were people I loved working with because for me, they were like my protection. They were like any time I would walk with them and meet my perpetrators, they wouldn't look at me because I had a bad guy closer to me. So by the time I was 16, I was in different relationships because for me, it was all, it was all about security. It was all about me feeling wanted. I went back to another school the next year. I went back to Form 3 and uh, that school was a new school for me. No one... They just knew Pauline. No one knew who I was. I guess I mastered the art of the art of pretending when I was so little. Because I went to that school and something funny, I was elected as a head girl. Because I, I, I now went to that school and I was like, I'm going to portray this other side of me. They are not going to know about my pain. I'm going to pro- portray this other side of me. And I was elected a head girl and uh, inside me and I was, I was like, I wish you knew. I wish you knew who I was. One, one of these days we were having a discussion with my principal and he told me, Pauline, do you know you're going to be one of the most powerful journalists in this country? And I looked at my prayer, at my principal and sometimes I, I remind him do you know one day when you told me I'm going to be a journalist I looked at you and I, I it's it's just that I was a child but I wanted to abuse you I just wanted to abuse you because how could you look at me and see a journalist while my perpetrators told me there's nowhere you will ever go they wanted me to be like the sister so after form four I pretended for two years after form four you know those times where you used to do your exams in December you get your results in much. So he is Pauline at home, sitting down at home and asking herself, what are you going to do with your life? And the best thing Pauline did with her life was going to get pregnant so that he could test if she can give back. Because for me, from the time I was 16, I used to tell myself, maybe this man destroyed my womb. Why was I even not pregnant after this? That is what I used to tell myself. And living in a society that... uh, kept telling me, you can't do this. You can't do this. So I lived my life proving to my society that I can. I can actually keep a home. That is what you want me to do. I went to get married at the age of 19, just after high school. It was a boyfriend that I had from the time I was 17. When I was in high school, my now the second high school. He was a guy we were dating from the time I was high school. For me, he was my protection. For me, you know, he was among these people who were really feared in Kibera. And uh, I think there was a time there was a, uh, the police wanted to finish him off. And, uh, you know, that day when I moved to his house, something funny, the police came. That was the day they wanted to kill him. The police came, and when the police found me in that house, they went and told the mother, it is because of that girl, because that girl is a very sober girl, and we know she's going to change your son. So for me, I was in a marriage at the age of 19 because I want to get a child. And I would say, fortunately, I got pregnant, but that year, 19 to 20, I think it was an awakening year for me because I went through the worst violence in my life. You know, someone looking at you every single day and a little mistake he tells you, that is the reason why you are right. You're so stupid. What are you doing? You're so ugly. Who do you think you are? He used to tell me a lot of things and beating me up. But again, you go to the society and the society tells you, if a man beats you up, he loves you. And I am in this relationship for one year. Sometimes I go back home because my home was just, I think, one kilometer from where I used to live. My mom sees blood and asks me, what is wrong, Pauline? But I tell my mom I fell off the stairs. And you know, my mom one day looked at me and told me, the day you'll get tired of falling on the stairs, please come back home. I am your mother. Just come back home the day you will get tired. October. I just don't know what is wrong with me with October. October 30th. That was 2015. My son was, had just turned one year. This man came home. I don't know what happened that day. But that day he became so violent and I couldn't take it. I think I was bottling up. Pain, pain. And by the time I was getting into this relationship and it turned violent... I had five enemies now. I was very vengeful. All this time I used to write. I used to write my pain down and I used to I used to finish people off through writing. You know, sometimes I keep saying if one day the DCA could ever get any of the book I wrote as a child. <laughs> I just don't know. And by the time he was uh, 
becoming violent, I had five enemies. So for me, I was looking at this man every single day as an enemy now. Because how can you turn against me this way? It is you that I look up to. It is you that I depend on. It is you that I want to protect me. Why would you do this to me? And that night, he came home as usual, drunk, started beating me up, abusing me, and my son was sleeping. That day when he just slapped me, I slapped him back. By that time, we were living in these houses. We call them self-confused, where the kitchen, the bedroom, the sitting room is just in one area. So I reached... I, I, I got the knife. And just when I was about to stab this man, my son cried. My son cried and I dropped the knife. And I held my son trembling. And I told my son, I promise you, you will never see violence in your life. And he got a chance to chase us away. At 1 a.m., 30th October 2015. And this is Pauline now calling my little brother. My brother didn't even take 10 minutes. He came running. Took my baby and looked at that man and told him, it's just that it's at night but you will never ever mess with my sister again. And I left, went back to my mother, gave my mother the child, but I still want to prove to this man that don't think I am, I, I'm just going to leave you like this. And uh, you know, sometimes I look at that little girl that I was and uh, sometimes I laugh because we, we, we started fighting for about three months. And I remember one of these days, this man called me a dead flower. You know, until this day, I'm trying to have a very good relationship with flowers. But anytime I get flowers, I just remember they were dead flowers. He, he looked at me. You know, in Kibera, where there are these uh, Boda Boda people, he just went. They, they, there was a Boda Boda uh, group just around us. He just went on that road and called me, Pauline, Pauline, I'm calling you. You'll never get married to anyone. You're a dead flower. I looked at him and I was like, ah, I'm a dead flower. It's okay. So the only way Pauline could revenge because I can't beat this man up was to get married again. That is the only way I could revenge. Just to show this man that I'm not a dead flower. I cannot, someone can actually love me. Went into another relationship. Three months later, got pregnant, had a child, another son. And now when my son was nine months, one day this man came home. I don't know if he was angry, but he slapped me. And I think I looked at him and I told him, this is the last time a man is going to slap me. And this is the last time I am going to live in, in this relationship. Because number one, I came here for revenge. And I have wasted your time. So the only way we can do, can we just go our separate ways without fighting? At least by that time I had a job. So I took a, a nine months old baby back to my mother that same mother. And I told my mom, now I really want to work hard, mom. Now I really want to, to go back and help my society. I don't know what is wrong with me with helping my society. But uh, by that time, I started training, training young girls in modeling. And uh, you know, the society had not known what is really wrong with Pauline because everyone was like, this, is this girl is rebellious. We can't even understand this girl. You know, we don't even understand what she does. Why is it that you'll only find Pauline with men? You'll never find Pauline with girls. But I was just trying to, you know, I, I don't know what I was trying to do while I was growing. But by the time I started training young girls, anytime I trained a 13-year-old, I was like forgiving that 13-year-old and reminding her that, you know, you can still live. Anytime I was training a 16-year-old, it was me telling this 16-year-old, Pauline, you, I forgive you. And I did that for around one year until when I came out with my story. And I think that is where a lot of people understood me now. But again, I felt like no one understood me because in Kibera now, when you wanted to get to our home, they will tell you, oh, you're going to Akina Pauline. The girl was raped. So for, for almost one year, our, our area, the directions, the name changed. The girl was raped. But for me, I had already spoken out. For me, it was out of me. There is a liberation that came with me telling my story because I now looked at one of the perpetrators and now that was the brother to this girl. And I remember one day I told him, I've just started. I will make sure you're not living in this area because there's no way I am taking you anywhere. There's no way I am reporting this. Because, you know, by, th by that time, that is when the society, you hear people saying, anyway, she's the one who took herself. She's the one who did this and this. And uh, by that time, I was like, I've told my story, and now I need, I need to bring change in the most little ways I can. I started speaking out so boldly about violence affecting women. And I think from the time I was really young, 
I loved being an empowered woman. I just loved having my voice. And slowly by slowly for me, that is how I found my voice. I found my voice by telling my story when I was so shaken, when I was so broken, when I felt like I shouldn't speak. You know, in moments like, in moments I felt like, uh, you know, I, I call them little demons. They are coming back, you know, reminding me that you, you don't deserve this. You know, I told my story at around March and uh, July, the same year, I was so suicidal. You know, for a long time, I lived with a mom who loved me and I... I sometimes I asked my ma I asked my mother do you think when I was little I was beautiful because I never had those words from my mother my mother would buy me anything that I want but he will ne she will never look at me and tell me I'm beautiful my mother my father didn't tell me so that day it was just in the middle of the night and I was like um I feel like I have no purpose in this life. Yes, I do so much, but this pain is too much. We are too poor even to afford anything. I am too poor to afford my any dream. And I looked at the mirror and uh, that day I wrote a poem that I, it carries me to this day. I looked at the mirror and I wrote, Dear Pauline, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're confident. And you can do all things as long as you set your mind to do it. And I don't know what happened, but from that day, I looked at myself is a beautiful woman once again. And uh, slowly by slowly, I started finding help. I started researching, you know, uh, on how I can heal. I, I now went for a mental health check. And uh, it is the same year I was diagnosed bipolar. What is that? And she explained, uh, she, she told me something like double personalities. And I told her, yeah, I had to fake when I was a, li a little girl. She gave me medication and for one month, I honestly felt like a zombie. I was like, no, I could I can't take this. I want to write. I want to write my pain. I want to cry. I want to, I just want to feel angry and solve it. I want to feel happy. I don't want something to regulate my moods. So I stopped the medication and I told myself, Pauline, you're going to walk in this cell healing journey you're going to walk through it as much as it's so hard so that is what I did from around 2017 just trying to find myself and telling my story brought very good people around me because I now had people who understood me people who I could call in the middle of the night and tell them that I don't feel okay you know for the first time I asked for help that time because you know you're being you're being brought up as a firstborn you have no one to ask for help you're like yourself and then the society has taught you that you asking for help can put you into very bad troubles so I used to keep things to myself and coming out as this resilient, strong girl. But I started being so vulnerable and accepting that uh, there, there is a part in my life I made mistakes. There is a part in my life people hurt me. I also used to tell my mom that I'm going to take my time in forgiving people because I don't feel like I need to forgive. And by that time, you know, my firstborn son is really growing. He's growing. And now I'm here as a girl handling my handling two children and I don't even know what to do with them and not any time we are celebrating Mother's Day I keep telling my mom I celebrate you for being the best mom to me and the best mom to my sons because I don't know what could have happened without without my mom around because for me I was a, I was a mother to boys at the same time I was a girl who looked at men as dogs but at the same time I wanted these men so close because for me, they, was a, they, 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 they were like, it was like me taking revenge. Anytime I, I did something especially wrong to a man, I would celebrate. I would celebrate. Heartbreaking a man, it was like an achievement for me. Like, I've done it. You're so used to heartbreaking me. Now I've done it. So it, it has taken me so long to heal. It takes me every single day to just look at men and feel like, not all of them are bad. And uh, also sometimes for me to accept that uh, I can play a part in attracting the wrong people around me. Also for me being just so honest with myself and what I really want. You know, growing up, you don't know what boundaries are. You're growing up, you don't know what love is. You're growing up, you don't know what it means to be told you're beautiful. You're growing up and uh, you want to be in school at the same time you have a child who you need to take to school. Mm -hmm. So it was just too much for me until the time now I started uh, making therapist my best friend because I was like, counseling. I just go and speak to someone, someone looks at me and uh, 
she's just he or she's just listening and i'm speaking i don't want i don't want i'll speak to myself but the day i started embrace, embracing counseling just allowing myself to be listened to another person the day i threw off the blanket that i had that you're a fastborn you should you should just keep things to yourself and even talk to my siblings and tell them that here i need help here i need help i need you to help me with this i need you to help me with this i think that was the day i started living life in a different way so for me i started living life at 25 that is when i started living life you know in my heart my my mother tells me that when I was 9 years I told her that one day when I grow up I'm going to open a children's home and she asked me the reason because I, that day we had slept hungry and we didn't have food and we didn't have anything and I told my mom I hate seeing people in pain I hate seeing myself in pain I hate seeing my siblings in pain when I grow up I'll just open a home and feed children and make sure there's no child who's going through what I'm going through and my mom just looked at me and told me yeah, one day it's going to happen. So when I was 25 and I am here telling my mother, Mom, I think we are moving from Kibera and uh, I now feel like we should go live with Masaiz. <laughs> and my mom is like, you now, you're moving me out of Kibera. I told her, yes, me, I am moving you out of Kibera. And uh, we are moving tomorrow. You know, that is what I did to my mom. Like I came home one day, I had already found a house in Kajiado and I'm like, Mom, we are moving tomorrow my mom, my mom is like yes i really loved moving i really want to go outside kipera but are you sure pauline and i told her mom here are the keys we are moving tomorrow i'm not giving you any more time to think because i know when you think you're going to allow all these emotions and all these traumas to hold you so that we stay here and you know it's in the midst of the pandemic everyone is crying there's no there's no this there's no this but i think that time was so gracious to me because i had a job as a, as a freelance and i had been given a very good money for me i just wanted i wanted to live outside kibera because i wanted to have a space that could protect survivors you know that was the idea of me moving out of kibera the next day we moved and now my mom goes into a house her own house because the first time i moved my mom i moved her to a three bedroom house my mom cried for one month my mom was like i have a washroom in the house i have a master bedroom i can't believe this you know i tried running away from my mother for around 2 weeks because i was like mom i can't stand you anytime i come home you're crying and you know you ask you asking her what is wrong mom you know i just can't believe it i'm telling her mom this is only the beginning but no this is everything to me so I I kept running away from my mom but you know that is how rebirth of a queen sephos was born you know by us moving out of kibera and when the pandemic was just the pandemic now and I used to get a lot of cases and now it's like I can't stand all this you know this these are now the little polins who are now going to live with the perpetrators in the same village because the justice system is so long especially for survivors who have no way to sustain themselves so i created a space rebirth of a queen sephos for survivors it was it was like me giving back to that little girl that i was that is how i started rebirth of a queen sephos rebirth of a queen actually came from a poem i did in 2018 and i was just writing a letter to the 16 year old i was telling her sorry i love going back to that girl that i was i just thought i wish i was 16 i wish i didn't listen to my friend i wish we didn't pass that truth one day i wish i wish i didn't even get closer to my friend i told that girl i am sorry i am sorry for staying so silent because your silence has cost not only my life but even the lives of other people who were survivors of of sexual violence but they didn't know how to speak but they were silent because no one in the society was speaking about this and just while i was finishing the poem i i just wrote and this is the rebirth of a queen journey i think it was it was it was an experience that was so painful for me i just letting go that 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 guilt that i was feeling and now wanting to experience life in a new way and in 2019 december i launched rebirth of a queen organization for me it was an organization that I was dedicating to teenage teenagers and survivors of sexual and gender based violence as teenagers it was a storytelling organization because for me uh, what has what has really helped me to this day is me telling my stories as it is you know i keep telling my friends that i don't think i'll be the woman who'll be remembered as a woman who shut her mouth when her voice was needed i want to speak out 
my story i want to give i want my voice to be out here even if i'm shaking even if i'm so scared so rebirth of a queen was uh, when we started when we when we were sitting down with uh, two of my friends and were like i have this vision i have this idea and this is what i'm seeing i want one day to be able to educate girls i want one day to be able to create a safe space away from kibera just to give girls that moment to breathe you know by that time i didn't even know it, it is called a safe house or anything but for me i just wanted girls to stop seeing their perpetrators when they're healing and so that is how the idea of a safe house came through and in 2020 june when we were opening the safe house i was like yeah this is what i really wanted this is what i wanted this is the idea that i wanted from 2020 the idea has grown because right now everything that i need in life is to economically empower women because we go through so much pain because you know sometimes you ask a woman why are you not leaving the abusive relationship and she's like and then what will my children eat you know we are not financially uh, empowered from the time we are little we are made to depend on people one thing i've learned the moment someone feeds you they have the power over you and that is what uh, perpetrators take advantage of the first time i opened my doors because uh, the first space that was used as a safe house was my house the first time we opened the doors of my house as a safe house was in first june 2020 and that day i received a call of a 13 year old it was around 7 and by that time we the, by that time we had a curfew a 7 pm curfew and this is pauline coming all the way from uh, another town going to kibera in the middle of the night to rescue someone but i just told the mother on the phone hold on for me do not do anything i am coming for that girl and uh, i took that girl something funny i broke down that day because you know every day when i wake up in the morning i make a request to god like god today don't allow any other girl to go through what i went through because for me it's always like i want it to end because sometimes i sit down and think of the pain i've had to go through and now this is another girl going through this pain and sometimes i i tell myself what if she cannot handle it so for me that day i picked that girl and i knelt down and i cried i cried but i remember telling this girl and the other day while she was joining school she looked at me and told me mom You're a very strong woman when I was just taking her to school and I looked at her and I was like, "Huh? Strong? Why have you said that? No, nothing. I've just said you're a very strong woman." You know, while I was taking her to the hospital, taking her to the police and I told the I told when I told when I took her to the police, I told the police I'm taking her to a safe space. And that is how I just opened our doors. And that time we just had crazy cases. By the time we were in August, I had I had 13 girls. in the cephos and now we were figuring out okay now we have these girls apart from eating sleeping what can they do and we started art therapy we just started little activities in the house are uh, telling them every day when you wake, wake up in the morning just write what you feel write for me what you feel so that i know how i can handle you for the rest of the day when you feel like your emotions have changed during uh, in the afternoon please just write for me sometimes we will sit down with a piece of paper and tell them now draw for me what you feel color just use any color and uh, through that they explain to you today i feel so black today i feel so dirty today i feel like uh, you know sometimes they will sleep and shout your name mom 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 you know you go to their bedrooms and you're like what is wrong i've seen him he's here please promise me this person will never meet me again will never see me again you know you have to convince these little girls that uh, no they are never going to come back again we just had to be creative with different activities we used to do art therapy when we, when we were starting taking them through school now i was having volunteers i i think i'm one of the blessed people i have volunteers coming through telling me we are going to take through we're going to take them through education now that they are they are at home at least they are not getting bored and uh, you know the girls and me by that time we really connected You know I, all of a sudden I my name changed you know even my sons used to call me by my name in fact my second name Akinyi <laughs> so by that time my name my name's changed from Akinyi now you're a mom now this girl is being brought and this girl forgets that she has problems in this life and everything you are responsible for it 
In fact, one of them told me, from today, I'll never have problems in life. I have a mom. Now you're the one to carry all this and make sure they live, make sure they eat, make sure they're okay, make sure they're having fun. But you know, every day, having these girls taught me to be grateful about life because sometimes you look at a 13-year-old trying to heal and you're like, what? You're a very little girl to just go through this and... Uh, how you're going through it, 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 it just gives me more reason to live. And uh, for one year, we really, we really grew because we had to move now from my house and we had to get another space for them, which is bigger, where they can play and where they can just have more activities. And we brought in photography and videography because this was a way of them learning. They use photography and videography to heal. They use it as life skill. The ones who are in school, we just took them back to school because uh, for me, I, they keep telling me that, mom, we want to go back to school. You know, they have very crazy dreams like, mom, I want to go back to school, become a doctor, and then one day I'm going to help a lot of girls. You know, sometimes you look at them and you're like, no, you, you don't deserve as a 13-year-old to, to, to carry. Sometimes I keep telling them that I don't want you to carry all this burden that I carry. I want you to live life. For me, at this moment as I speak, one of the girls that really gives me a reason to keep going is a 13-year-old who came to our safe house, defiled and pregnant. This day, while I was taking her to the theater because she had to go through cesarean i stayed for five hours in the theater room and i was telling the doctors i'm not getting out of here my daughter is here i am not getting out of this space because i have to see this girl alive i by that time the girl was like yeah i'll just take care of the baby but you know when you look at her it is what the society has told her you have to take care of this child and uh, you know this girl came out of theater five hours later and uh, when she was recovering in her bed i was just there that day i slept in the hospital you know, I happened to ask her, are you happy? And you know, the girl looked at me, cried and told me no. And I asked her, why are you not happy? Because now you'll be able to play. And she told me, you know, I was told that I'm going to get married to an older man because I got pregnant before marriage. And I made a promise to this girl in the hospital. I asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? She told me I want to be a doctor. And I told her in the hospital bed, I make a promise to you that you're going to be a doctor. No one is going to marry, you off to marry you off to an older man. You're going to live your life. You're going to live your dream. And so when this year, uh, when uh, just uh, this month, I was taking her to school, I took her to school, and when she was going to class, I started crying. I was like, this is a dream come true. Yeah, my girl is going to school now. You know, for me, for me, I don't, I don't even mind that she's still in primary. We have a long way to go. But what is giving me hope is that one day this girl is going to be a doctor and actually achieve her dream. And I can't wait to see the day that girl is going to be a doctor. I think that is, that is something that I will hold in my heart. That is, that is the reason why this Cephos has to live. That is the reason why we have to think of all the sustainable ways we need to support these girls. Uh, what keeps me going is that I know 10 years from now, I'll be traveling this, this world just to attend graduation of these little girls that I see them grow every single day. You know, one day, one day there'll be a lawyer or there'll be a magistrate who will come from rebirth of a queen. And that is what gives me hope when it comes to ending gender-based violence, knowing that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there's going to be change because we are raising an authentic generation. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Man, Pauline's story is super, super inspiring and also just so insightful, especially when she talks about triggers. And ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think is one of the most uncomfortable bits when it comes to healing from sexual violence, at least for me, where I thought I had a handle on my triggers and I had a system. And then this year, yes, this year, what month are we in? Yeah, I think this year or like late last year into this year, I just started experiencing new types of triggers, like literally from like what somebody's wearing to particular shoes, shoe colors and that's not something I had experienced before, but hey, thank God for two therapists <laughs> because they really came through. I think also when she talks about looking for safety in relationships, I can 
definitely identify with that. Where you almost even ignore glaring red flags. <laughs> because you're just like, hey, but I'm safe. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. It's not. Because you just find yourself in situations that you you wouldn't consciously have put yourself in but your number one goal is to ensure your safety which is like just a response to the trauma that you've experienced so when she talked about that I was like whew I can definitely relate with that so in the show notes I have shared the social media for rebirth of a queen so you can reach out to Pauline beat on twitter on instagram find out ways that you can support her safe house I know right now what she's looking for is people to help in a more technical capacity so if you're an IT manager perhaps you could lend or volunteer some time to help them set up some sort of IT systems that they need help with. If you know how to take photos, you're a photographer or in the film space or whatever it is that you have that's a talent or a technical skill that you can pass on to another, perhaps you can just reach out to Pauline and see how there can be sessions to benefit the girls. So reach out. I've put all her links in the show notes. Do remember this podcast plays on Trace FM here in Kenya every Monday and Wednesday at 1pm and 11pm and every Friday at 1pm which is super awesome. We've been there for this is our third year now. So if you go to traceradio.co.ke you can get a list of all the frequencies so if you're hobnobbing around Kenya you can tune in the nice old-fashioned way. Another thing if you want to share your story on this podcast in the show notes there is a link to a google form fill it in and I'll get back to you. We are recording stories all through August. So now is the time to send in those responses to the questions on the Google form. I hope to see you as I end this episode on Saturday at our yoga event. I think it will be very nice, very healing and an opportunity for us to bond as a community. So I'm going to leave you with all the details about that beautiful event. Hi, my name is Julie. My name is Catherine. And we are going to be your leaders for our yoga well-being workshop here at Kanga Studio. We'll be doing mindful practice, meditation, so yoga for your mind. And then we'll move our bodies so we can get physical and get to access our bodies using yoga. And then we'll finish with our discussion circle where we get heart-to-heart -heart discussions. Most of the time we process our trauma in our minds. And this workshop is going to be an opportunity to process that trauma in our bodies. We're looking forward to having the Legally Clueless Africa community. So see you on the 6th of August from 10am at Kanga Studio Nairobi. Tickets have to be bought in advance. They're 4,000 bob and are inclusive of lunch. Grab your tickets right now on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. Hustle Sasa. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.